Welcome back, or welcome to Grateful and Full of Greatness. I'm your host, Mark Glassini. On this podcast, I sit down with guests who, in my opinion, live their lives with the pursuit of greatness in mind. This platform allows me to discuss and to explain strategies that go into reaching peak performance. This is episode number 12. My guest is Dr. Christina Versari. Dr. Versari was a head sports psychologist for NBA teams and its players remains the director of the sports psychology program at the University, San Diego University for Integrative Studies, and has been working with high-profile clientele for roughly 30 years. She worked with the Brazilian Olympic men's basketball team, continues to provide specialized services to individual professional basketball players, and has been featured on national and international television <laughs> and newspapers, including, but not limited to, MSNBC, Fox News, CNN, LA Times, Sports Illustrated, Psychology Today, and the New York Times. Dr. Versari is one of the brightest minds and hearts in the field of sports psychology. Her expertise and understanding of what it takes to compete, win, and succeed within sports, relationships, and life are world-class. Her empathy, knowledge, and ability to communicate effectively make her a leader in my eyes and the eyes of many others. Her guidance has helped me personally and professionally I consider her a dear friend and mentor. I'm excited to have her on this podcast and sit down with her today. Dr. Christina Versari, thank you so much for joining me on here. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me on your podcast. So when it comes to any conversations in life, uh, one thing is true, uh, that facts fade, uh, but stories stick. Uh, your story is amazing. Do you mind sharing some of your earliest experiences, influences, and when you knew you wanted to become who and what you do now? I think I made the decision to become a sports psychologist in my first year in college. I was enrolled in a bachelor's degree program in psychology to become a, a psychologist in, in Brazil, my home country, Brazil. And I couldn't relate very much to other students or the materials that I was learning. And I had a conversation with one of my instructors that told me about sports psychology. And I told her that that's what I would like to do. I would like to become a sports psychologist. And I asked her, how do I go about in doing that? And she said, well, you have to move to another country because we don't have sports psychology in Brazil. So that, that's when I decided that's what I was going to do. I had been a swimmer since a very early age. For health reasons, I started for health reasons, and I, I've started noticing, you know, the difficulties that some athletes had, and I said, I, I can do that. That's something that I would love to do. So I started building my career on my own. I started buying books, reading, studying on my own since I couldn't take a class in sports psychology in Brazil, and I started working with athletes at a private university in Rio de Janeiro. And after I finished my bachelor's degree, I had started a master's degree program, and I decided that was the time to move to the United States and enroll in a program to help me shape my career. So I moved to San Diego. And I completed a master's degree in sports psychology and a doctor degree in sports psychology at United States International University. And following that, I started working with the MBA. 
I love it. And, and when you were a swimmer, how important were the mental aspects to you at a very young age? Was it something that you thought about um, from an individual perspective? I didn't think about it at the time because I was too young, but I did think about that when I was in college and making those decisions because I had asthma and the doctor said I needed to, to be a swimmer. So I, I went to, to that sport, not exactly by choice, but I loved swimming and I was good at it. However, I had a lot of anxiety about competition because I didn't want to compete unless I knew 100% that I was going to win mm. because I didn't want to deal with the failure. So for that reason, I very rarely competed. And the first time that I was in a serious competition was in college, and I won. And I thought, you know, I, I missed out on so many opportunities growing up that I could have really enjoyed the sport. And I didn't because of fear. So that was my first acknowledgement that athletes could use the help of a psychologist and help to overcome fears. So, yeah, that did have an impact in my decision. We we were talking at length just the other night on the phone, and one thing that I took away from you is fear exists as long as you don't get started. So I, I love how you wrap that in that answer right there. And it's a really... Uh, how you put it the other night really sums it up pretty nicely in that uh, if you're not taking action, that's where the fear uh, metastasizes. And uh, you're such a strong believer in the power of goal setting. Uh, why is that so important to you? I think because of my own experience, I've always set my goals. And my goals were always situations that I, I was committed to do, but at the time it didn't seem realistic so it's always way beyond what i would imagine i could accomplish in life but because i was committed and then i did take action i was able to accomplish way beyond what my goals were so my goal was to be a sports psychologist and work with olympic athletes so i wanted to work with athletes at the highest level so i ended up working with nba players which was way beyond what I have ever thought I could do. So I think goal setting is, is underestimated and underutilized because everybody thinks that they have goals. Every year on the first, first of the year, and the first part of January, people talk about their goals for their year. But we don't write it down. We don't have a plan. So if you only have goals, it's a wish. It's a wish list. When people write down things that they want, that's a wish list. It becomes goals when you have a plan. You have to have a plan and the, the action list of what you're going to do to reach those goals. So it's like putting together a puzzle without the picture. You know, you don't have, you know what you want, but you don't have a way of getting there. So I have seen people make major changes in their lives and accomplish again way beyond what they thought they could accomplish because they had goals and they had a plan and they took action. I teach graduate students, so most people in graduate school working towards a PhD, they're considered high achievers. And every time before I start my class, I, I do a goal setting exercise. I do that with my 
students, my clients, staff. I do this with everybody that I work with. So I ask my students, say, raise your hand. If you, write, you have your goals and you have them in writing and you review your goals on a regular basis. So again, this is a PhD level students. They're high achievers already. And maybe one third of the class will raise their hands. This has been true for over 25 years. And I find that fascinating. Imagine if the rest, if they did write their goals. You know, they're already at a PhD program. If they did write their goals, they could accomplish way beyond what they thought was possible. So goal setting is a very powerful motivational tool. I have been using it for a very long time. And also, it helps to manage stress. So goal setting, time management are two techniques. They're very simple, very basic. Anybody, everybody knows what they are. Anybody can do it. That helps people to manage their stress because they're more organized. They, have, they know what's going to happen. They, they feel that they have control over their lives. I love that. It's so well said. And uh, <laughs> something you talked about earlier was um, how aspirational you were. And I still remember clear as day you telling me earlier on, uh, once I had a mission, thing, things seemed to fall into place. I think you were a teenager when that was for you. Uh, what did you mean by that? I I have always been very committed to the things I wanted to do in life. So once I made a decision, I had a goal, I had a, a, a action list, action plan, I would stick to it and not give up. I would just keep working towards the goal. And goals are, you know, you don't get to achieve a goal when you stop there. It's a process. Once you get to a certain place, and then you have new goals from there. So you keep going. And we discussed this before. Uh, our qualities and our weaknesses are the same. So sometimes in my life I felt I wish I, I was, didn't feel that strong about things that I wanted to do in life. Because it's a, you're always on a mission. So always doing something or getting ready to do something or just finish doing something. <laughs> so it's an ongoing action process that's almost never ending. So on one hand, you accomplish anything you want. You can do If there's anything that one other person has done in life, so can you. You just need to set those goals, have a plan, find some role models. Find people that have done it before. Ask for their, their recipe to success. How did you do this? Follow the same steps. You're going to accomplish what you want. On the other hand, it's exhausting because you're always doing something. You know, so you have to take some time to enjoy. And one thing that I, I feel fortunate that I have always done, always look where you came from and how much you have accomplished. Mm. Uh, athletes and high achievers usually only look at where they're going and where they want to go, where, what they want to accomplish in life. Very rarely they look at where they came from. So I've always talked about that with clients. So you need to look at where you came from to appreciate what you've done already 
you have already accomplished more than than one percent of the population right so you've done a lot already in your life you have accomplished a lot if you look around and people that you went to high school with you've done way beyond what most people have done but most high achievers don't don't stop to realize that they just keep thinking and looking forward to the next level and the other things that they still need to accomplish in life. So it can be exhausting if you don't take some time to enjoy the present because high achievers don't live in the moment, you know, right. live in the future right. and all these things that need to be done. And, and it's so inspiring to hear uh, stories about how the worst thing can turn out to be the best thing, right? We're having this recording right now in the middle of our pandemic, COVID-19, and it's very hard to see the silver lining in the entire situation, uh, but it's very often true that the worst thing can turn out to be the best thing. Uh, in regards to your life, uh, do you feel like the fear you had early on in your life, the anxiety about competition, do you feel like that has helped you when you're counseling uh, athletes and high achievers? I got over that very quickly by doing the things that I feared and doing those things first. So I got over that. And once that's part of what we discussed before. Once you take the first step towards something that you are afraid of, you don't no longer feel the fear because your brain cannot process those two different feelings at the same time. So your brain is focused on how you're going to get out of there. So I, I was able to overcome that very quickly. And I always put myself in positions that were difficult, they're challenging. Uh, when I was in high school, I made a decision that I was never going to be a teacher because I didn't like to talk in front of people. Mm -hmm. My very first job well, when I was still in college was teaching. And I have been <laughs> teaching ever since. So I put myself in that position because I knew was uncomfortable but I have been teaching you know my whole life and there was I didn't know what I was going to do but I know what I didn't want I say I don't want to teach because I have to, to talk in front of people mm -hmm. and that's what I've always done so I, I put myself in a position of things that are uncomfortable and I know that once you start you know your brain will, will take care of you and help you get through it Right. I'm sitting here. I wrote down, do what you fear first, because to me, when you think about fear, it's almost like this mountain that you have to overcome and you're really simplifying, which is awesome, right? If you just do it, yeah. uh, then your brain can't focus on anything else, but then achieving and getting you through whatever it is you're doing. Uh, something that comes to mind is um, visualization and visualization is a difficult term for many people to conceptualize because it's not something 100% tangible, um, like physiology um, that we can touch and feel. So what's your, what's your philosophy around uh, visualization or having a vision or the use of mental imagery? Okay. Uh, I, I question those approaches for the first several years of my career because when I was working with the Brazilian men's basketball team, I worked with them for the Olympics, and some other national and international tournaments. 
And I did some visualization mental training tapes. Back then we had tapes. And I thought I was so proud of it. You know, I spent so much time working on those visualizations, exercise for them. And in talking to the players, I, I realized that it worked for some of them. It didn't work for the other ones. Mm. So later was, I was able to make a distinction that I think has helped me a lot. Uh, visualization, uh, relaxation exercise, biofeedback, all of those exercises, they, they all work at certain times for certain people. Mm-hmm. None of those work for everybody. It's the same thing if you went to a doctor's appointment because you're feeling sick and the doctor came out and gave the same medication to everybody that's in the waiting room. So it doesn't work for everybody. It works for a lot of people in a, lo- a lot of times, but it doesn't work every time. It doesn't work for every athlete. Mm. So I started making that distinction and I learned, I learned this from, from my players that depends on the personality type, you have to use different types of exercise. So I don't want to get into the language of the Myers-Briggs, but we, we separate people. There are some types that are feelers, and there are some types that are thinkers. So the thinkers are more analytical, more pragmatic. The feelers are more sensitive. They're more concerned about relationships and, and feelings that they have around situations and people. So feelers, they do very well with visualization and relaxation exercise, especially before the event, before the race or the game. And thinkers prefer those exercises after the game. Mm. And, and I'm a thinker myself. So I say, yeah, it's, of course it doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. Why would it work for them? So what works for me is to do visualization with the eyes open so if i have to give a talk at a conference if i have to do something that that's important and i want to i care about my performance i I go to the event site over more than an hour earlier and i i walk in and i see myself i visualize with my eyes open, the entire event, my entire presentation, my talk, whatever I'm going to do there. So I, I walk through the process in my head with my eyes open and see myself completing the task successfully. And one of the things that helped me before events and helped people that are thinkers is to listen to music that can psych you up. So I need to be psyched up before. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, I can listen to relaxation music once the event is over. Mm. So visualization, relaxation, it works for certain types of personalities before the event and for other types after the event. Or some people don't even like, the thinkers don't like that. They say, oh, I don't like relaxation music. They, they like to be psyched up. Mm. You touched on so so I, it, it took me time to make this distinction. It took many years to learn this. Isn't that the greatest aspect of it, that it's not a one-size-fits-all approach? Like I, I yeah. was just even thinking about when, when you're giving a pep talk to a team or an individual, uh, you have to say the right thing at the right time 
at the right place to the right person, right? And things have to fall in line there. It just can't be this framework that you use with every single team or every single player. Am I, am I correct in saying that? Yes. Yes. It's a, I think it's one of the biggest challenges for someone to be a coach. Because when you're coaching, you have different personality types, different learning styles, different ways that people process information. So when you tell a group of people, a team, something, you have several different ways that people are interpreting what you said. Hmm. Some people are going to love it. The people that have the same personality type that, that you have, they're going to love what you said. People that are different than yourself, they're not going to like it. I, I did uh, the team building with 22 teams at a private high school in San Diego years ago, 22 different sports. Wow. And, and it went so well that the principal asked me if I could do a team building section with the faculty. So, so I gave them the personality type inventory. And most of the faculty members had a certain personality type except two people. And that was the principal and one other teacher. So we, gave the, we did the team building session. And then afterwards, the, the principal came to talk to me. And he said, you just explained to me why is it that no matter what I tell the faculty, they don't like it. If I walk into the room and I tell them today is Tuesday, they complain. I say, well, how could I say that? <laughs> so I can never say anything that, that I please them and that, that they like. And now I understand, you just explained this, because our personality type is so different. And then he said that the one teacher that was the same type as him would always come by his office and check in and say, I just want to check if you're okay. So I think was the only person that really related to him because they're exactly the same personality types. So what this principal did after that, he stopped going to most of the faculty meetings and trainings, and he had the assistant principal, whose personality type was very similar to all the teachers, run all the meetings. And he said that that took care of it. The teachers stopped complaining about him. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> So this is very helpful. So, so back to the, the coach, that's what happened. Whatever personality type that coach is, he is going, he's going to allow him to communicate to a, a certain number of players on the team. But the ones that are different, they're going to have challenge in communicating and a challenge in that relationship. I've seen over and over in the NBA players who are feelers they're more sensitive having problems with their coaches and in addition to having communication and relationship problems those are the players that got injured more often hmm. because if you don't make a decision to take yourself out of a situation that's uncomfortable your brain will take care of it so those players got injured more often and they left the league wow because of their injury so it is a very serious issue, and that's why team building using the personality profile can be so helpful to coaches. And there's another approach that's even easier because you don't have to use any instrument is to 
uh, do an exercise with your team, dividing everybody into three types, which visual, kinesthetic, and auditory. So there's three modalities of communication. This is how you communicate with yourself and others. Some people are more visual, some are more auditory, some are more kinesthetic. And this is how we learn. So just learning that all teachers, coaches, they all should do this exercise, but it's so simple and so basic. But so if you are a visual coach, you're only going to reach your athletes who are visual. If you're an auditory coach, you're going to reach your players who are auditory. So you, the coaches and teachers need to, to learn to communicate in a way they can reach all three different preference that people have. And these are little exercises that can be done, you know, without a, an instrument. I love, Very simple. I, I love it because it just <laughs> sheds light on how much of an ongoing journey and a process, the psychological aspect of sports. I mean, sports are a continuous series of problem solving events and you're shedding so much color on why there's a game within the game. And I, I kind of a, maybe a challenging question, a two part question, are there techniques uh, that tend to be most effective if you're the coach to the player or if are there techniques as a player to the understanding the coach that kind of cover more basis that they could make up for their weaknesses and understanding? Is there anything they could do to make sure that they're reaching all their players if you're the coach or is there anything that the player can do to make sure that they're grasping the information the coach is giving in a different way that they don't usually understand? See, unfortunately for all of us, this kind of information is not available. Like this should be taught in school. We should mm. all learn this in first grade because it's so basic and, and it helps us throughout our lives. So once you do this team building session exercise with the team, uh, when people realize how they are different, they stop struggling and fighting to be accepted. So if a, a coach is a thinker and the player is a feeler, they don't have the same values and they, don't, they do things for different reasons. What motivates them in life is different. So what motivates a player who is a feeler is to help others. Their number one motivation in life is to help others. The thinkers are more motivated by winning or making money. So there's very different types of motivation. So they struggle. You know, there's a struggle, people trying to change other people, coaches, wanting everybody on the team to, to function and operate exactly the way they do. Because they're the coach, they're in charge. I want you to do this way because the right way is the best way. But if you're not reaching people, sometimes all it takes is to change your vocabulary. So one way for coach, without doing any work with any team, if you're working with a group of people, try to reach them using the three different modalities, visual, mm. auditory, and kinesthetic. So you show them how to do something, you tell them, and, and you talk about how they're gonna feel by doing that. And you can tell the difference between those three by the vocabulary that people use. So if somebody says, this is how it looks to me, 
you know, that's a, that's a visual learner. I see your point. So that's a visual learner. If somebody says, um, I hear what you're saying. You know, it doesn't sound like that to me. So those are auditory uh, language. You know, people, they're auditory. Even if they don't know, that's the vocabulary this that is they so use. Important. This is so uh -huh. So important. I mean, I'm, I'm just nodding my head and how uh, there's a certain level of misunderstanding that comes when you lack empathy. I mean, we're talking about sports here. We're talking player to coach, but this goes across anything. This goes to business. This goes to culture. This goes to society. Um, you talked about how this should be taught in school. Um, your university in San Diego encompasses uh, integrative studies, meaning mind, body, and spirit. Could you elaborate on its approach and how it fosters that holistic growth? Yes, uh, we believe that you can't separate the individual from the other aspects of their lives. And this is our approach to sports psychology, to teaching, to learning, you know, to everything that you do. You can't separate the individual. So uh, I used to interview athletes that I've worked with and I've done a lot of interviews and I've asked them what was going on in your life at the time when you won the gold medal in the Olympics and they very quickly explained how everything that was going on in their lives was perfect at that time so one Olympic athlete told me everything was going well he had just met the, the, the person that he later got married to, that he was very much in love with her. He had a great relationship with his coach, and he was in peace with God. And his physical abilities were the best. So it's, they don't say I was doing my best in my training, or you know they don't focus just on their physical part. They describe everything else that's going on in their lives. So we believe that for you to perform your best, you have to integrate your mind, body, and spirit. So you have to have, you can't just talk about your physical performance. So let's do a visualization to help you perform better. That's not enough. You know, what's going on in your life and your relationships? How is your communication with your coach? How is your communication with your family? You know, you have, how is your spirituality? So we believe that the total person is the combination of all those aspects of a, a person's lives, and you can perform your best when there's a balance in yeah. all areas, which is hard, it's hard to accomplish, but yeah. that is the goal, to have a balance. I, I teach my students, every class that I teach at the university, regardless what the subject is, including a business class that I teach, I start with goal setting. So you're, you're not going to be successful in business if that business is not aligned with your personal goals, your personal values, and your beliefs. You're not going to enjoy every day waking up and having to go to that business if it doesn't fulfill your mission in life. What is your mission? So I have them first day of class, they have to make those decisions. What do you see yourself doing 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now? And how does that business fit in? So I have students that their business is exclusively sales of something. 
Then I have people creating a business plan. There are nonprofit organizations, uh, recycling. Uh, another one create a business plan to pick up plastic from the beaches. <laughs> so that's what is aligned to their personality, their beliefs, their values, their spirituality. And they will be very successful because they can't wait to get to work every day. Mm. When, you, when you're doing something that inspires you, that motivates you, and that you're helping other people, if that's what's most important to you in life. So going to work is a joy. So that's what the integrative approach I love is. it. And, and I, when uh, we first spoke, uh, I was out and playing for the San Diego Seals. We met in San Diego um, through Dr. Nick Molinaro, uh, who, if he listens to this, thank you so much for introducing us to. Um, but something that comes to mind is, is the power of the individual idea. Right. And when you're doing mental training and, and searching for different strategies to use to boost your performance, one of the things that you brought up to me that was really eye opening, it made me reflect on my uh, history as an athlete. And I looked at the years in which I performed better uh, and worse. Uh, and, and you brighten my perspective and understanding about relationships. I mean, you touched on it right there about um, your values and beliefs and the relationships in your life, but also, also your spiritual relationships. Um, why are relationships so influential? Um, what, what advice would you give to someone looking to enhance their closest relationships so that they can perform better? I've always heard that when people are in the hospital dying, then nobody says, I wish I had spent more time at work. <laughs> they always care about the relationships. They wish they had spent more time with certain people in their lives. They wish they had said certain things to the people in their lives. So some of the regrets that people have at the end of their lives has always to do with people and their relationships. So I think the, the relationships, you know, it's part of the, the three factors that allows people to have balance in their lives. And it's not just personal relationship, romantic relationship, but relationship with the coaches. Coaches can make such an impact in people's lives. They can change a person's life forever, depending on what they say, because people remember it's amazing. I talk to players and they tell me something that I said to them 20 years ago. <laughs> and I say, how do you remember that? <laughs> this, ju this just happened about three months ago. I got a phone call from a player who was writing his second book. And he said, I wanted to confirm that this is exactly, I want to quote something you said in the book. I wanted to confirm, I want you to read and let me know if that's exactly what you said, if it's correct. And he read it to me. And he said exactly the same words that I said. And I know because I, it's part of my classes, so I repeat that in class <laughs> regularly. Mm -hmm. So it's very fresh in my memory. I say, how can you remember that? This is, we talked about this 20 years ago. He said, I remember. It was very important to me, and I remember. So when you say something, you don't realize the impact that this is going to have in somebody else's lives. We don't have any way of evaluating that when we say something. Mm -hmm. So when a coach says something to a young athlete, that could have an impact to change their lives for better or worse. If it's something negative about them, 
you know, Michael Jordan's coach told him that he was never going to accomplish anything and, and he was cut from the team. He still remembers that. <laughs> right. After all his success, he still remembers that. Right. So those things can make an impact in people's lives. Sometimes it's the motivation. That's what motivates them to sure. prove that they're wrong. Absolutely. But Absolutely. not everybody has that ability to turn something negative into something positive. And some people will believe that and they won't try anything. Right. So relationships are very important. That I think that's probably the most important thing in our lives yeah. are the relationships that we build. Uh, there's studies that show that people live longer if they have relationships in a support system. There's studies that show that athletes adjust better to a second career. One of the number one factor is their relationships and their support system in addition to, you know, a strong education and some other factors, but this relationships and support system is one of the first factors that will allow a player to, a, to have a, an adjustment, to adjust well to their retirement and to a second career. Well, one of the things we talked about earlier is doing what we fear. Uh, and now we're talking about relationships. I hope that one person uh, listening to this does what they fear and they reach out and they mend that relationship before it's too late. Um, something that you're talking about uh, is your core belief system and your core values. Um, for somebody that that might seem like an esoteric idea, could you um, shed light on, on what you mean by an athlete's or a peak performer's belief system? I mean, you, you used... Uh, Michael Jordan building the narrative in his mind uh, to use the negative information he got from a coach to, to add fire to his belief system and how that can be great for a peak performer. Um, but could you shed more color on the importance of values and beliefs? I think the belief system and the ability to change beliefs was one of the most important uh, lessons I've learned in my life. Because beliefs are not statics. Beliefs, you can change beliefs by changing the information that, that you have about that belief. So if I tell you my name is not Christina, you, you're, then you're going to be what well, you thought was Christina, but now you're confused. Mm -hmm. So if I keep giving you more information, maybe you change the belief about what my name is, or you'll be feeling like, well, I'm not sure. So there's no certainty about that anymore. And that's about anything that we believe in life. We believe certain things. And if you get more information, you can change your belief. And one, so people can set their goals. They have an action plan. But whether they believe they can accomplish something or they believe they cannot, they're right. Mm. So you never argue with someone about belief system. That's why you don't argue about politics or religions because those are always the belief system level. Mm. You're never going to win because you are right and the other person is right. There's no right or wrong. So there's no way you can win those arguments. So if somebody believes they cannot accomplish something, they're right. They can write their goals, they can have a to-do list, they can have action plan, but their belief system has to change. So people have to make a list 
I usually ask my clients to make a list of five negative beliefs that have been preventing them from taking action, change those beliefs, and we do a visualization that helps them see themselves with those new beliefs. And it's very effective. People can't, you can't, beliefs are not statics. You can change your beliefs. And there's so many stories of people that are successful and they have a belief system that allow, that support them and allow themselves to take those actions every day, you know, to move towards and closer to their goals. Right. And I, I think it's interesting how you say never argue uh, about belief systems and you give uh, listeners here to make five negative beliefs if they want to get started on changing their beliefs. I think it's so important um, to do some internal reflection and change on your own and always um, be searching for more information and search to better yourself rather than always searching for outside sources to change you. As more lighthearted question, fun question, um, did you have anybody, any heroes, role models, or idols that influenced or inspired your belief system? I have many. I had at every phase of my career, I had a different mentor. And I think we should all have role models. Mm. The easiest way for you to reach a goal is to learn from someone that has already done that. Mm. So I had in my career, had different mentors. I had a sports psychologist from Florida State University who was very significant in, in, in impact my career because I used to go to him, say, how, how do you write a book? Oh, he wrote 20 books. So he knows how. I don't know how. He does. So I, can, I did ask him, so how do you write a book? And he told me how to write a book. So mm -hmm. I, I had different mentors. When I was working in the MBA, one of my mentors was Satch Sanders. He was the person that developed the MBA education and career development program from, from many years ago. He is the first person that thought that the players need help preparing for their second career. And during his playing years, he said the players had jobs in the summertime they had to work because they didn't make enough. So they develop career skills. So when they retired, they'd already had a career to go to. But as the salaries increased, players didn't have to work in the summers anymore. So they were not developing the skills for a second career. Mm -hmm. And many players, you know, felt lost and didn't know what to do once they retired. So he created this program and he used to do the program for free helping players until it became a program in the NBA and the Players Association. And he was a wonderful mentor, a person that had done so many different things in his life. And he was, he was wonderful. If he ever listens to this, probably going to say, how do you remember the things I said? <laughs> I remember everything he ever said to me. Mm. So, and I would go to him and I would ask him questions. What do you think I need to do? To, to do a better job. And he would give me the list. He didn't have to think twice. He knew what to say. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny, you gotta ask more questions. If you wanna change your life, you gotta ask more questions and ask better questions. If we can always improve, we can always do better. And find mentors. So he was a great mentor. I had another mentor who was a former boss 
when I used to work at a psychiatric crisis center in California. He was a wonderful mentor. Like he had an answer for everything. So every time I had a new challenge, I, I needed to change in a certain direction. I always went to him and I asked him. And he had the answers. And I, I remember to this day everything he ever said to me. So there, I think most people have people like that in their lives. They don't even realize those are their mentors. So we all have, you know, have an uncle, we have an aunt, we have somebody that we go to and we ask questions. So I had multiple, I had multiple mentors throughout my career. My, my first mentor here when uh, I started getting into the mental game, Dr. Rob Gilbert, uh, his favorite word is training, that we can be trained to do anything. And you talked about the importance uh, of finding a role model that are, is already doing what you want to do. Um, and it's so true. And uh, if you have any more advice on, on somebody that wants to have a mentor but doesn't know how to find them, um, what would be your uh, maybe short advice on, on finding a mentor or getting a mentor. Um, you had multiple throughout your career. Um, what were the best ways that you approached getting a mentor? Find somebody that, so when you do your goal setting exercise, I, I suggest for everybody, do a goal setting exercise. Make a list of your goals, everything you want to accomplish in life. Then make a shorter list, everything that you can accomplish within a year from now. Then make an action list what are they actually going to have to take to get closer to those goals and keep reviewing your list and make adjustments if you're not getting any closer to your goals you need to change your approach and as part of that find somebody that's getting the results that you want if you if you wanted to lose 20 pounds found somebody find somebody they have lost 20 pounds and ask them what did you do they'll tell you the recipe and if you take the same steps, you're going to get the same results. Mm. So find somebody that has done what you're trying to do, what you're trying to accomplish. They have they accomplished the results that you want. I love that. And one thing that's really important to remember, for things to change in your life, you have to change. Things don't change. So when you go to, to a mentor, Keep in mind that nothing is going to change and nothing is going to happen unless you change. So we have to change ourselves, what we do on a daily basis, consistently, in order to get different results in life. In terms of finding a mentor, it could even be someone that you don't know. It could be someone that you know about. So it could be a famous person, somebody that you don't have access. But you ask yourself, what do you think the person would tell you to do in order to get the same results? Wow. And we come, up, we come up with a list. So we know what we need to do. And but having a mentor that you can go to is the ideal because they have figured things out in their lives and they have found a way to accomplish certain things that you're trying to do in your life. Because like I said, like to write a book, if you wanted to write a book, find somebody that wrote a book and ask them, how did you do that? And most of the time, you'll be getting the same results in a shorter time than they did. But they had to try different things. They had to, to learn the hard way. They made mistakes. And you don't have to make the same mistakes. You learn from their experience, and you'll be able to accomplish the same results in a shorter period of time. 
I, I love it. I, you covered so much there. And I think one thing that I want to drive home is the importance of having action steps and routinely auditing uh, the uh, goals that you set. Right. And I think that gets, that gets lost somewhere, right. It's not enough yes. just, to, just to set them. Uh, they do have to have action behind those words. And uh, I remember listening to a Michael Gervais uh, podcast in which he had an individual on who uh, I believe it was Barry Kaufman who uh, was looking up to Abraham Maslow, who he never knew, right? Maslow was already dead by now. And he said to that he was my mentor. Even though they didn't live together, he just, um, through his work and through his studies, he felt like Abraham Maslow was his uh, mentor. And I, I, that really hit home when you said uh, finding a mentor is not necessarily somebody you need to know specifically. Um, you can chase down and think about um, what would they think about or what would they suggest that you do. And I think that was beautifully said. Um, you've worked with so many of the finest athletes and peak performers for, for three decades and you talk to them uh, when they feel lost and help them out. Um, but is there anything in your life? Is there something that you know now uh, that you wish you knew when you were just starting out? That's a good question. Well, there's a lot of distinctions that I that I have I've learned from my clients that I have I had to implement in my life, and it's taken many many years to learn to make those distinctions. I wish I had had a teacher that could have taught me all this in a shorter period of time. It's taken many years to make those distinctions by learning the hard way, trying one thing that doesn't work, trying something else. So I think I, I could have done more in my career if I had had teachers. Mm. Most of what I do today, I learned on my own. I had, I, I had teachers. However, the distinctions that I had to make, I did that on my own to create an approach that, I, that works. I, can't, I don't accept people spending time doing anything with me if they're not going to get results. I need to see the results. I want them to get results. And what I was taught by some sports psychologists, I didn't see any results. So I had to learn, and it take, took me a very, very long time to make those distinctions because I was learning from the players and, and making logical decisions and trying to create a different approach, which I have. So I think in my life, I wish I had had a teacher that could have taught me this. But on the other hand, I created a very successful approach in working with athletes that helps them change their lives. So it wasn't easy, but I'm happy with what I've done. Christina, where does this come from? I'm just smiling so wide because you, you had 16 years of, of college education. You attend and you give seminars, uh, even to this day, all the time. Uh, you have such a student mentality about you, but you just talked about uh, your, your story earlier on and how you learned through experience. And where would you say that that burning desire uh, comes from for you to, to continue to learn, to continue to teach others, and to 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 start sports psychology at the school in San Diego. Where does that come from? I think it's my personality. One, second, I had a I had a wonderful childhood. I had a great childhood, 
in a small town in Brazil. I had a, a mom that told me that I could do anything. I think that helped me a lot. She always told us that we could do anything. And it wasn't, she wouldn't say that just once in a while. She would say that constantly, that we could do anything. She, was, she felt that she didn't have the opportunities in life that she wanted, mainly because she was a woman. She wanted to go to medical school. And she was told by her family that she could be a teacher if she wanted to, but she wasn't going to go to medical school. So she was never given the opportunity to study, to learn, to, to be what she would like to. And she accepted that, but she didn't want us to be the same way. So she always told us we could do anything. And I think I, I, I learned that. And I, anything I wanted to do in my life, I have been able to do it. And I think I've done way beyond what I ever thought was possible. I love that. I, I, I have a mother that constantly instilled that belief and, and parents that uh, totally told me that I could do anything. And I think that, that at an early childhood is really um, impressionable, right? It, for the rest of your yes. life. Um, something you said to me in the past is uh, that leadership naturally occurs based on behaviors and values to be a great leader, be a great person. Uh, can you elaborate on why or how leaders arise naturally over time? Yes, I think leaders are elected. I don't think anybody can decide to become a leader. Leaders are naturally elected by the people that they're working with. Could be a coach, could be in politics, could be in a family. No, you can you see in family systems there's always a person that everybody listens to. It's not necessarily the person that we think should, we should be listening to. It could be somebody else in a different position. There's groups of friends. You can always tell who the leader is. So the leader is the person that is naturally elected by the people they're around. So I don't think it can be taught. I don't think you can teach people to become a leader. I think it's based on who they are as an individual, the beliefs that they have, and the actions that they take in their lives, and they're elected to be the leader. I don't know how we have leadership programs <laughs> that we teach leadership. I think we can teach about leadership, but we can teach someone to become a leader. Love it. Just to give you a little uh, fun exercise here, uh, I have uh, three questions rapid. Um, who's the hardest working athlete you've ever worked with? Uh, there's so many because they, they work so hard. <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to tell you one that I did not work with, but I think Michael Jordan is one of the hardest working athletes I've ever known about i didn't work with him but he had so many obstacles to overcome at a very young age and he demanded so much from himself so much it's just incredible the demand that he placed on himself and he never quit until he got the results that he wanted so i didn't work with him but i think i would say him michael jordan
Amazing answer. My second question is, uh, do you have a favorite sports movie or most motivational sport story in sports? Um, you know, I, I watch, I don't watch a lot of movies, but I watch a lot of documentaries. And many years ago, HBO used to have a series of documentaries about sports and the sports leaders. And they were, they were fascinating, you know, so I, I love sports documentaries about the lives of the greatest coaches in history. If you study, and actually that's one they had on HBO, was the, the greatest coaches in the history of sports. And that was from different sports, football, basketball, baseball. And they outlined their beliefs, their philosophy, and how they became so successful. And they're all leaders, and they're way ahead of their times. And we still talk about them, you know, so many years later and, and mentioning their philosophy. So I love the, the documentaries. Perfect. And uh, sticking with history, my last question is, uh, if you were to have dinner with any three people, living or dead, who would they be? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I heard this question before. And the answer that, my answer is going to surprise you, but it would be the Pope. <laughs> and the reason is the Pope has more influence over people than anybody else. Anybody else. So the presidents of certain countries have a lot of influence over a certain number of people. But the Pope has more influence over people than anybody else in the world. So I would sit down and talk to the Pope. I love it. That's <laughs> so good. <laughs> and and um, two more questions. Um, are there any particular resources you turn to in terms of knowledge or motivation? Uh, or even deeper, are there any uh, phrases or words that you carried with you uh, to provide strength along your journey um, over the years? Yes, uh, I do. I think you have to be constantly controlling what you tell yourself in order to create a certain state that's going to allow you to succeed and get through your day, do the things that you need to do. There's plenty of negative influence out there. You know, if you watch TV, if you listen to the radio, if you talk to some negative people in a very short time, you look at the negative stuff. It's very easy. It's, Gravity is automatic, so it's very easy for somebody to take you down, and it's very easy to bring someone up. So you have to be constantly careful about what you, what you put in your mind and, and what you focus on on a daily basis. So I, I work on that very hard. You have to, to, to be successful. You have to keep your, your mind in a certain state. And to do that, you have to focus on what you say to yourself, what you say to other people, what you focus on, so that you are in the ideal state to move forward every day and not focus on all the negative things that are happening. You know, if you go to a party 
and you have a camera and you zoom to a certain side of the, the room and there's a person that's very sad, you're going to be under the impression that it's a very sad party. <laughs> mm. People are sad. You know, if you focus on a different aspect of the room, you can see somebody happy and smiling. You think this is great. It's a, a happy situation. So our mind does that automatically. There's negative things happening around us all the time. So whatever you focus on becomes your reality. So you have to block what's negative to come into your mind on a daily basis. Every second of your day, you got to focus on what you want, what's positive, what's possible, because you can do anything, but you're not going to do anything if you just focus on the negativity. And I think we have all been impacted by that since March. Mm. We were all hit by some incredible amount of information that was negative, that was scary, that was unknown to all of us at the same time. So we have all been impacted by a great amount of fear, about fear about the unknown, uncertainty, what's going to happen, and many very bad things that were happening to a lot of people around us. So we have, and there wasn't anything to, to shift from. So there were, there were moments during the month of March, April, part of May, that we didn't even have anything positive to think about. So we have to really get ourselves out of this emotional state that everything is so scary and fear, there's so much fear around us and focus on the possibilities of the, we need to get back on track. Absolutely. We need to, to motivate ourselves every single day, you know, to get out, get up, get out, do the things that we're good at, help people. I think one of the one, number one motivations in life for people is to help others. When you help other people, you forget about your problems. That's one of the reasons we did all the webinars. We did 30 different webinars in eight days. But it was so exciting because we were helping so many people and we stopped worrying about our problems. You know, what's going to happen to us? What's going to happen? Are we going to get sick? None of us had a chance to think about that because we're focusing on helping other people. So when you help other people, you don't think about your own problems. And to give listeners um, an idea of what you're talking about, uh, SDUIS, um, headed by Dr. Christina Versari, put together a community service project and to help people going through um, coronavirus and, and all the negativity in the world right now. And there's free uh, webinars uh, online um, under SDUIS, and I'm sure Christina can tell you um, where to find it, but it's so important to help others. And I just want to make sure that I, I drive home your point that it's, uh, we're in constant control of what we tell ourselves. One thing that came to mind was um, how Seneca once said, we suffer more in imagination than in reality. Uh, you had me uh, watch the Tony Robbins comeback challenge that's going on right now. And he, he talks about how focus equals feelings. Uh, whatever we mm -hmm. focus on becomes our feelings. And then lastly, what came to mind is there's a book called It Takes What It Takes. 
um, by Trevor Moab. And he says, positive thinking doesn't always work. Be a neutral thinker um, because negativity, negative thinking always does work. Um, and the way I wrap up these podcasts, Christina, is I, I ask um, guests to define greatness. Um, so what does greatness uh, mean to you? is to get to a point in life when you realize that you have helped other people to be their best. Just being the best yourself on your own, I don't think it, it brings that much rewards in life, but the reward is when you have helped other people to, to become their best and do whatever they wanted to accomplish in their lives. That's it. And, and thank you so much for being a, a mentor to me. Uh, you're a guiding light of strength and hope, and I appreciate everything you've done for me so far. Um, and thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you.